0: Anything. You can start me now, then. Okay, humor in the back, that's cool. (laughs) But the minuscule details are important. In everything we do in life, getting down into the details is is a big deal. Sometimes we like to just uh, enjoy the surface of things. But eventually the surface of things won't cut it, especially in Christianity. There will come a place where, where the surface no longer gets it done. It's just the way it is. It will work for a while, but after a while it will become a um, habit. And it won't have the fulfillment or even the enjoyment it one time did. So the details become extremely important. This, this uh, paper print off looks very similar to the last one. We're, we're dealing with Revelation chapter 1, and my little joke about that is we'll be in chapter 1 until I get to chapter 2. I think when we get to chapter 2, we'll start moving faster, and then I don't know how far we'll go, but I think we'll, we'll look at some of the chapters, if not many or most of them, but we'll see. Lord may steer my heart in a different direction, and if He does, He does. But that's how I feel. In Revelation chapter 1, and I'm I'm not even going to read it. We've read it over and over again. You can take it home and read it, and I, I would advise you to read it. But John turned to see, and that's what we're dealing with, is the seeing of the Lord. And when he saw Him, what we're looking at in the seeing of the Lord is His face shown as the sun. I'm going to ask a question to you, and it's in my notes. Did Was there another time where Jesus' face shined as the sun? Yes, there was. Was at the Mount of Transfiguration, which we'll get into a little bit this morning. But as we get into this, just to refresh our minds, I had put down Zechariah 14 and Verse 6 in particular, On that day there will be no light. And it's right on, your, right on the page, the paper that Calvin handed out. No cold or frost, it will be a day known only to the Lord. Without day or night, but when evening comes, there will be light. Isaiah 60, 19. No longer will the sun be your light by day. And the brightness of the moon will not shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your splendor. Now we could really, I could really go to town with this. That's a, a beautiful, beautiful verse. Genesis one. Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, and here's a little humor for the day. If you don't know where Genesis is, it's the beginning of your Bible. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Sounds a lot, a lot like John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was waste, this translation says. King James says, without form and void. The earth was waste and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. All right. What I want to bring your mind to here, he hadn't even created the sun nor the moon. Have you ever caught this? Have you ever read Genesis 1 and caught this? You come down through here and you go through the creation days. And God divides the light from the darkness right in the beginning and He calls the light day and the darkness He calls night. And then down in verse 14, on the fourth day, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the the day from the night. Well, did he not just say he did that up in chapter one? Or did he divide light from darkness? In chapter in, uh, well, in verse one, in verse one through five, what we just read. But here in the fourth day, he's creating a firmament of, of heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for season and for days and for years, and let them be for lights. In the firmament of heaven did He give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made stars also. And God set them in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning was the fourth day. So when you look at this, Right from the beginning, he divides light and darkness and says, let there be light. Now a question, we don't have to answer today, but a question I want to draw your minds to, was that sunlight he brought forth there in the first day? Or was that the light? See, Jesus' face shined as what? The sun. And Isaiah prophesied of a day where the sun, the natural sun out here, would not be the light. Okay. Now, With the natural mind, I try to get my mind around that and figure that out. I'm looking for a day where the brightness of God is brighter than the sunlight. And God has to answer these questions. I draw them into your, you know, I, I bring it up so you'll, you'll have a question in your heart. What is God saying? Because I want the Lord to answer the question in your heart, in my heart. What's he saying? Because most Christians still walk after the light of the sun. And not after the light of the sun. Or the light of Christ. And what John encountered, in the book, you know, when he encounters the Lord and writes about it in the book of Revelation, his face did shine as the sun. Well, the sun is what we naturally walk after. Right? Upon the earth. And our eyes are what we see in the earth with. You know that. We all know that. And if you're blind, you don't see in the earth even when the sun shines in a natural sense. So you see naturally... Like I can see out this window, and I can see grass, and I can see the little tree, and I can see the fence. And I understand what these things are, because I've been taught what they are. And I even understand that that fence, I may not can make that fence, I need to tell you, I probably can't. But I understand it's made of wood. So I have an understanding of what it's made of. Now why am I doing this? Because I want to draw your attention to seeing. And the attention I want to draw you to is not the seeing with these eyes. Okay. I want to draw your attention to a greater seeing than the eyes that are in your head. And I and my heart is that you would give your heart to seeing by the Lord. In fact, in Ephesians one, this was the prayer in the Apostle Paul's heart. Paul prays in Ephesians one, verse fifteen. Let you get there. Ephesians 1, verse 15. He says, For this cause, I also, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which is among you, and the love which you show toward all the saints. So he's kind of commending the Ephesians here in this letter, well he is commending them, that they have faith in the Lord Jesus, and it's among the believers, and they have love toward the saints. So they have love toward one another. And he says, he ceases not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in his prayers. So evidently Paul prayed for them. But his prayer became that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in, what? The knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding, this this version I'm reading says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, the King James says, the eyes... "...of your understanding, enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what the riches of the glory of an inheritance in the saints, and what the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead." and made him sit at his own right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but that also which is to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. This is what Paul prayed. This was his heart toward the church. The eyes of the heart or understanding being enlightened. Well, if you look up this word and on the paper I gave you, I, I gave you the definition here. It's The definition is understanding the eyes of your heart enlighten the mind the faculty of understanding the mind as a faculty so Paul was praying that their mind would be enlightened in the knowledge of Christ and where I get these definitions from if you get a strong concordance. The strong concordance links the words, the Greek words, the Greek and Hebrew words, that our Bibles come from. How many know the Bible wasn't written in English? I told a friend of mine who was a King James only person, and I don't have a, if you are, you are. I said to them something to the effect that I don't think the apostles spoke English. which is shocking to some people. So, so you have the words are translated from Greek and Hebrew, and sometimes the translation in English can not give you a full picture of what's said. That's why I said sometimes you've got to get down into minuscule details. Maybe that was the point of my illustration in the beginning. And when you get down into the minuscule detail of the eyes of your heart, he's dealing with the mind. And which is curious with the translation because there's a different word used for the heart. Now now the King James says eyes of your understanding. So so it's actually, actually probably a little more accurate than the other translation in this word. I won't get, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I won't try to say one's, what one is, but the understanding, and it means, like I said, the deep thought or the faculty of the mind, the faculty, the what you get the deep thought out of is your mind. So he's praying that their mind would be enlightened in the knowledge of Christ. Because evidently their minds may have not been so. Paul told the church in one place, he said, You're carnal, you walk as men. How many know Paul said that? People would get offended at you today, real fast, because carnal means fleshly. So to be carnally minded is fleshly minded, or after the mind of the flesh, after the mind of... Humanity. And people like to say, well, we're just human. And I want to say, are you just human? Or are you members of the body of Christ? See, see somewhere we as believers have to get confronted that something really happened when I got born again. Really happened something powerful happened. I was born of a whole other seed. You know, man is born of a seed, naturally. But when I was born again, I was born again of a spiritual seed, the eternal Word of God who is Christ. And somewhere that reality has to get within me that this is a bigger picture than maybe what I was taught or maybe even what I was believed because God birthed me of another seed. So my salvation is a whole different seed than what mankind is. Now he created mankind. And He created mankind for the purpose of Christ to dwell within. And He gets Christ within you through new birth. But we come through this process, and you know the process of the Lord in the basic understanding of being a Christian. We get born again. Then hopefully we get filled with the Spirit. And we come to the knowledge of the Son of God. And you say, well, where's that at scripturally? Well, in the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant is a type and shadow of the new. There were three feast days. There weren't one. There were three times the Israelites gathered before the Lord. And the first one was, was to the effect of maybe a planting of a seed. And the second one, Pentecost, the first fruit. And the third one was tabernacles which dealt with the harvest. So so when you receive the Lord, you get the planting of the seed. Maybe the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you could say it this way, is the first fruit of the seed. And the harvest is the fullness of the seed. So you come to the Lord and you get born again and that's the starting point. And you have to start. But Paul sees a people that had started. They hadn't just started. He said they had loved one toward another. That's more than a lot of church groups. A lot of church groups are are divided within their assemblies. Right? So here Paul's addressing the people that aren't divided. He said they have, I see your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for one another. And his prayer is that the eyes of your mind, your faculty to know is enlightened in the knowledge of Him. And see, Jesus, when He dealt with one of the parables, in the book of... Give me a second here. I want to say Mark, but it may not even be Mark. We'll see. In Mark... No, no, no. Hopefully, I even put it here. Matthew six, Matthew six, nineteen. Matthew six, nineteen says. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. Now, that's something to consider. We start off dealing with light and darkness in the book of Genesis. And Jesus, when He came into the earth, He said, I am the light of the world. John writes, in Him was life. And the life was what? The light of men. So if the light is Him, then you can see. You can say in this parable, But if he's not the light, you can't see. So John turned to see and he saw seven candlesticks and one in the candlestick. And the illumination John had was from the one in the candlestick. So John began to see by him. And when I see by Him, I have a whole different vision, and what it's going to bring is a whole different vision of one another. See, many times in our walk, I have, I've had this in my mind all morning, so I'm just going to go with it. Old song, and I'll butcher the song, but Anita and Sheila probably know it. I'll have a new body, I'll have a new life. Who's ever sung that old gospel song, that hymn? How's it go, I'll have a new body? How's it go, Sheila? I'll have a new life. How's it go, Anita? Neither one of them know. Good. Anyway. Huh? I think it's on that resurrection morning, when all the dead Christ shall rise, I'll have a new body, I'll have a new life. There you go. Okay, that's it. You you hit the nail on the head. Okay, this is a, this is a common this is a common idea. Here, here, here's a common idea in Christianity, and, and the idea the idea is in the hearts of people. I'll have a new body. I'll have a new life. Some day. Out here in the future, that's inside of Christ- most many many Christians. Many, it creates an idea that may not be a good idea. I ain't telling you, and, and I ain't telling you when you physically die. That you won't have a body. I'm not telling you that. Okay? So let's get that out of the way. I'm not telling you one way or the other. But let's get that out of the way. What's wrong with the idea is you lose track of now you are the body of Christ. That's not a future thing with Paul. Paul wasn't telling the believers that they're someday going to be the Lord's body. He told them they were the Lord's body. He told them they used to be the body of Adam. Now they are the body of Christ. And members in particular of the Lord's body. So if I understand I'm the Lord's body, then I understand my purpose is to express the Lord. And I also begin to understand that Darlene's a member of the Lord's body. That Darlene is not some individual, just individual believer getting doing the best she can as well. The, the idea of being the Lord's body connects members together. And I believe the Apostle Paul said you are members one. Well, I don't believe. I know he did. You're members one of another. Well, if I'm a member of you and my understanding is not Christ, my understanding is affecting you. And yours may be me. Now you say, "Well, how's that so?" In old Israel, who was a type and shadow of the church, and I believe it was Achan. I believe this is the right name. They went in, and I think it was in the days of Samuel. They went in and plunged a group of, I think, Canaanites. I believe. All right, I may have my names mixed up, but the moral, the moral of the story is going to be the same. And the one Israelite takes in his possession of something of the enemy and he takes it and buries it in his tent. Which would be in his heart. (laughs) And the whole Israelite family was affected. Not just him. It affected them all. So under the law, what they did to him is they took him out and stoned him to death. They got rid of him. Stoned him and his family. For stealing the possession, burying it in the tent, and holding on to it. And what we bury in our tents A lot of times it's self-identity. We want to hold on to our self. We don't see the oneness of one another. When John turned to see the Lord, he saw, what did the first thing he said he saw? Seven golden candlesticks. What does John tell you the candlesticks are? The church. The seven churches of Asia or the church. What does, what did we read in Ephesians when Paul prayed that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened in the knowledge of Him? What did he keep on what he come up finally come down to and say the church which is His body the fullness of Him that feels all in all. What's he feeling? The church. What's the church? His body. What's he filling his body with? Himself. <laughs> now you may think I got out there on a limb. Okay, maybe I did. This is what you're called to—to to be the Lord's body. That's what salvation is. You, you know, I'm a member of the body of Christ. That's what you are. You're not called just to come to church. You should come to church. You should gather, frankly, every time you can, you should gather to understand the Word of God. The apostles were breaking bread daily. How often is daily? Every day. So daily they were going house to house breaking bread. That doesn't doesn't just mean they were eating with each other. They were eating the bread of life. Jesus said, I am what? The bread of life. So daily as they gathered, they were eating the bread of the Lord every day. we come to a day today in America. I can't address Africans. Because I'm not in Africa, but I can dress America. Because I've had a brother tell me in Africa, people go from this country and they go to Africa to make mission, to mission them. He said what's going to happen is the Africans are going to come here and, and be the missionary to this country because they believe this word. Now this is what a brother told me. He said that a lot of the African nations where he went in and preached, they believe Christ in you. They believe this word, and God is working miraculously in their midst. And here people people are Christians in this country, maybe more than any other country. They say they call themselves Christians. That's it, Andrew. They are religious. You may have the most religious country in the world. Doesn't mean you know Christ. You can, you can put a sign that says Jesus up over buildings, and then frankly they are. There's just down this road, I don't know how many buildings that are churches. Doesn't mean Christ is being proclaimed. Now, this is a hard message for a Christmas message, so forgive me. But this is where the Lord has me. Because when John turns to see, he sees the candlesticks. He sees a church, a golden candlestick. He doesn't just see candlesticks. He sees seven golden candlesticks. We haven't even got to the gold. The imagery of gold is the nature of the Lord. You know, so he sees a, a complete church The number seven deals with completion. On the seventh day, God had finished the work He had created and sat down and rest. So every little thing God is into detail. So every little thing God said has a meaning. And on the seventh day, He was at rest. And John sees seven churches. And in the churches, their completion, Paul says, You are complete where at? In Christ. And John sees a people there in Christ. A seven churches that Christ is in the midst of. And that is significant, man. It's so significant. i, I just telling you in my heart, I even put it before the Lord of, of, of moving on faster through the book of Revelation. Because I felt like some of you, and I know we don't have a big congregation, but I felt like some of you wanted me to move on. And I felt like the Lord just said No. This is important. So if I don't see His body, if I just see me individually, me and Jesus have our own thing going, huh? That's not the body. See, the body of Christ, and Paul was always dealing with the body, with a unit. In fact, in Ephesians 1, and I wrote this in the notes, and we'll have to go through a lot of this, you know, through the coming weeks, Lord willing, because I'm not getting very far this morning, but in Ephesians 1, right up in the first part of the chapter, or Ephesians 4, at the first part of the chapter 4, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation you are called with the lowliness and meekness with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love. So, right here in this chapter, he starts dealing with the people to forbear one another. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So there's a unity of the Spirit, and that unity is in Christ. That was, you know what Jesus prayed John 17, that they may be one as we are one. I am them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one. And He goes on and says, There's one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. So this is the one God and Father. And you're one body. You're not bodies of Christ. You're one body and members in particular. So Paul, Paul got so wound up with this with the Corinthians, darling. He says, if the foot shall say, he's speaking to the people out here. He said, if the foot shall say to, and I, I'm probably using the wrong one. but the foot shall say, I'll use it. the foot shall say, to the hand, I don't need you. See, he's using the illustration of a natural body. Because, because we look at one another as individuals. In fact, this come before me this morning. We're going to get into the mind here in a second and just briefly touch it. But this come before me this morning that in a lot of Christianity and a lot of strong uh, Christianity, I'll just call it strong Christianity, people will say, well, I'm getting in whether you do or not. That's selfish, man. You know, Paul's heart was, was very different. He said that all might know. It was a very different heart. He said. He said in Colossians, and, and, and it interested me this morning. I, I'm I'm before the Lord, and I've never seen this as selfish. And all and all the years I've, I've walked before the Lord, but I begin to see that Paul's heart was that all would be perfect. He even said that in to the Colossians that he may present every man perfect. So his heart was for the body of Christ to be filled with all knowledge, wisdom, honor, and glory. Paul's heart wasn't that he get all this wisdom, honor, and glory. And, And Sister Darlene, if you get in, sweetheart, God bless you. I've got all the wisdom, honor, and glory, so if you make it, good. That wasn't his mind. His mind was that all would come to see the Lord. And what had happened was his mind had begun to see the Lord. So the eyes of his heart had been enlightened, and because the eyes of his heart was enlightened, he wanted everybody enlightened. Because he saw the good treasure, he saw the the pearl of wisdom, he saw the Lord. And because he saw the Lord, He was praying that the whole body of Christ would see the Lord.